church family, you can see how difficult that was. That this is something that, in my mind and my heart, would knew I knew it would be difficult. But I've had June since June to process this and pray over this and, and journal and think through this. And it has been super helpful to talk about this as a team, as a as a pastoral team, and, and as staff as well. Grateful that Kenny and Dan was able to speak for the last two months to uh, friends and, and just ministry partners, people that deserve to know before it goes public, and they did their best. We know that there could have been some that were missed. This is a long process, and they were earnest in trying to get this done. And today, many of us for, heard for the first time, in about 20 minutes of this all of a sudden taking root. So today... On November 13th, a pastoral team said, you know what, Rocky, could you maybe take a break from Mark? And maybe you could address this issue. I said, absolutely, that's a great idea, pastors. And then as I looked at Mark, providentially, Mark 4, 35 to 41, I can't think of a better portion in Scripture than this. God providentially has the next portion of Scripture to talk and speak to exactly this situation and other things. I know there's a lot harder things going on than that in the lives of many of our church members, as particularly the last two weeks. So Mark 4, chap, uh, Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. If you have your Bibles, let's see and hear what the Lord has to say from these few verses. So if you're able to please rise, we do this because as we say often, we do this to honor God's word. What a treasure that we have in our very hands. And by the spirit of God, we hope to preach this message with power, with great love for him and great love for the church. We pray that the soil is soft and well fertilized right now to be able to hear God's word. Mark 4, 35 On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with the team in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Help us to understand this. Help us to see more of your greatness through Mark 4, 35 to 41. Thank you, Lord. I pray this will be a particular encouragement to these pastors that are coming off, but also our church family, particularly those who are going through a challenging time right now for a variety of reasons. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Storms are a part of normal life. And the issue isn't necessarily the storms, it's the wind. Sailors, no matter how seasoned a sailor is, is scared to death of the wind. It's not the water, it's not necessarily even the waves, it's the wind, because the wind is the source that creates the chaos. Storms. And particularly as you transition through different things in life, storms will come. 
This is the part of life that we live in. This is we live in a fallen, sinful world. Storms are a part of normal life. Let alone dear friends stepping down. That's a, that's a significant storm, and, and certainly is. Some of us have undergone job layoffs. It's been a difficult time. The economy has been tanking. It's been hard. That's a storm. I've talked to church members who are going through illness and difficult health issues. That's definitely a storm. People are experiencing and grieving the death of loved ones just this week. Some of us may be discouraged about the political elections and and the people that have been elected and who look like they're going to be elected. These are just part of normal life. This is just the life that we live in on this side of eternity. And it can be a hopeless situation now. This is where I really want to speak into as a pastor. How do I care for a church out of Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41 to help us to be hopeful rather than hopeless? Because what you believe will affect your attitude and how you see things. If you believe that storms are just chance or bad luck or even bad karma, this is a hopeless situation. If you think that storms are are random and there's no rhyme or reason, that's a pretty hopeless situation. Even Christians have false views of God, meaning, is God angry with me? Is he punishing me? Perhaps if you're in deep, deep sin, there's a chance. There's a chance. If you thought a wrong thought, if you said a wrong thing, perhaps God is angry with me. Perhaps maybe some of us prescribe to some light prosperity theology where if I follow Christ, Jesus will bless my life. The storms will be calm. Maybe you, you have some of that. And this will leave you in hopeless situations when the storms come and when they don't let up. It could leave you jaded and discouraged or even anxious. And what gives Christians peace when storms arise is this. This doctrine... And particularly, we'll get more specific. But when the time is right, brother, sister, haven't you said to your brother or sister going through a hard time, when the time is right, somehow God is in control. Right? This is not some random thing. Somehow God is in control. And we're really speaking about the doctrine of sovereignty, God's sovereignty, meaning he's in control of all things. This is a comforting truth about God, that God is actually in control. Not man, not circumstances, not the culture, not politics, not the economy, not a powerful figure, none of those things. God. Charles Spurgeon, the heralded preacher, said, The the sovereignty of God is the pillow which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. Isn't that what the Lord was doing? He was at perfect rest. This is the pillow now, sovereignty is defined, just so we need to describe, uh, define some of these big terms, but sovereignty can be defined in a very simple way. God's right and power. If you want to write this, this is important. What, how do you describe sovereignty to yourself or to others? God's right and power to do all that he wills. Simple. It's his right, his authority, and his power to do all that he wills. And the question I have for us before we jump into... Uh, this really is setting up the stage for, for this uh, portion of Mark is why is God's sovereignty so comforting? Right? Well, because of what Brother Albert read, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And we know, that's knowledge, that's truth, we know 
That God, that's God himself, the creator of all things, causes. He's in control. All things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything in between, to work together for good. Not bad, but good as he sees it. Not good as how you see it. Not good as how the culture will see it in our own logic, but how God sees it's good to those who love God. This is a qualified promise. So if you're not a Christian here today and your friend brought you or you know you're not a Christian, this promise that God caused all things to work together for good to those who love God is for his own children. I believe that God loves all of creation. Every human being that's been created, God loves with a very general love. But as we learn at Third John, God loves his own children who've given, their, who've given up following themselves and following Christ as their Lord and Savior with a beloved love, a agape love, a special love that only the Father can have for his children. So if you are sitting here right now and not quite sure what this Christianity is about, really the most distinguishing mark of a Christian is this. That he loves Jesus Christ. He loves God through Jesus Christ. He loves God. He or she loves God. This is the most distinguishing mark of a Christian. And no one's love is perfect. I, we understand that. I mean, I mean, we understand this. But this is a genuine love that, that, that we love the Lord more than anything or anyone else in our lives. My encouragement to you is this. As you listen... I pray that you would want to become part of God's family. I pray that you would say at the end of the service, I want to love God more than anything else in my life. This message is for you too. If you come into the family of God. Providence is what we're talking about today, church family. The doctrine of providence and, and, and not just sovereignty, but more specifically the doctrine of providence. We talked about this at the book of Ruth. But I was, I found this incredible definition, which is super helpful. A friend of mine gave me this big red book here. Okay, you see this? It's called Providence, written by John Piper. 700 pages. I said, okay, let me see if I can get around to reading this. And I started reading it providentially at the right time. And, and John Piper describes providence as this. The providence of God is his help, his purposeful sovereignty. The providence of God is his, God's purposeful sovereignty, by which he will completely be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. In other words, let's just get real simple. What is the providence of God? It's God's purposeful sovereignty. And God is in control. Amen. And that's good. But it isn't some, like, what is he doing? I don't know, but it's good. Kenny said, I'm not quite sure what God is doing. I think we're going to give even more clear, providentially, he said that. I think the scriptures are going to lend to more clarity on that question that he has. It's a wonderful thing. I'm glad he said it. God is always purposeful. So basically, now that providence is the topic and purposeful sovereignty is what we're going to be heap, hammering out, let's see where we could dig out the gold nuggets of providence out of these few verses. This is our goal here, is to dig out and mine out some of the, some of the treasures here of providence here. Okay, so let's turn to the first point here. Now we're into Mark. God's purposeful sovereignty ordained, God's purposeful sovereignty ordained the stormy transition. Verse 35, on that day, when evening came, 
there was a specific day that the Lord chose, and it needed to be evening. Jesus Christ says, let's go on a trip, and it's got to be this day, that day that he was preaching and teaching and doing miracles. On that day, when it came evening, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Jesus Christ himself is the one who orders this trip. This trip that you would find so terrifying. Like, who would ever organize this trip? We're trying to organize trips to uh, other places. And if you knew the organizer knew that there would be some kind of disaster like this, and you still went ahead with it, you'd be like, whoa, what are you doing? But this is not no ordinary person. Jesus needed to transition from the west side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Jewish side, to the east side. He had a specific plan, and we'll find that out next week. But for now, he needed to transition from the left coast to the right coast. That's really what it was in, in a simple sense, the Sea of Galilee. And and verse 36, look what happens here. This is a very interesting ordering of words that Mark uses. Leaving the crowd. That's what Jesus always did. He left the crowd. We understand this. This is nothing new for him. Comma, they, the twelve, took him along with them in the boat just as he was. The disciples were, all right, you want to go across? We got this. Jesus, you handle the teaching. You handle the miracles. You handle the care for the people. But we got the boat ride. We know this. Keep in mind the 12. All but one were Galileans. And many of them were Galilean fishermen. So this was a normal routine thing. We've got this. Jesus, you just relax. We'll take you across the, the lake. We got this. This is what the Lord Ordained, these men wanted to follow through. This is just a routine trip. We've done this many times in our lifetime, even as young children. And the boat, I, I believe this is a symbol of what's familiar in these two verses. The boat, definite article, the boat, verse 36, one time, verse 37, it says, the boat. All right, the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. The boat, the boat, the boat, the boat, three times. This is emphasis here. The boat was represented, what was familiar is a 27, okay, that's, I'm trying to get with your 27 by 8 feet boat, which 15 people could ride into. When we went to Israel in 2018, they have uh, a remains of a first century boat, and it's, it fits 15 people. They found it in the mud. Providential is preserved for people like us to enjoy and to understand. They probably, these disciples probably owned the boat. It was probably their fishing boat. And this was a familiar boat in a familiar lake in a familiar task of going across. And perhaps even at night as they would fish at night. This is a very familiar thing. This is a routine trip. And then what happens in verse 37? And there arose a fierce or mega gale, mega windstorm of wind. Matthew 8 says, and behold... Little wink of providence here. And behold, not only did Jesus pick the time, not only did Jesus pick the, uh, the day, not only did Jesus decide to go across, that was from him, but now he also has ordained a mega windstorm to show up. Something he knew which was bigger than what the disciples could handle. And windstorms are, are common in the Sea of Galilee. Just kind of how it's set up with a a bowl of hills around with the cool, cool air of Mount Hermon clashing with the warm air of the Sea Galilee. Perfect storms could happen. And there it was. And verse 37, it says, And the waves were breaking. They were breaking. They were breaking over the boat so much that the, the boat was already filling up. The boat was sinking. The familiar was sinking. 
the routine became impossible. What should happen didn't happen. What always worked didn't work. As I thought about that reality, if I was a fisherman, man, I, I should be able to handle this. You know, I, I think to my own pastoral transition here. I know how to lead. I've spent 30 years doing this. <laughs> this is what I do. This is what I do. This is what I do. I mean, we're at the University of Southern California. We turned that around. We're at the Seattle CX. We, we, we are able to help lead that. So we know how to do this. I remember sharing a couple of weeks ago at MC Squared and just sharing that in transition, we need to expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. I could not count on the familiar anymore. This is a different game. This is a different leadership opportunity. I'm fooling myself if I think it's the same. It's a different type of people with a pre-existing culture, with pre-existing issues that we needed to address internally. Relationships were different for my wife and I. Friendships, relationships, they started changing real quickly. Support came from unfamiliar places, praise God. From the outside the church, but also within the church has been wonderful, but less familiar for us. And then COVID season happens, as Pastor Kenny talked about. That was something that they don't necessarily prepare, for, prepare you in the seminary or any other institution. And that, we all, all pastors had the privilege of going through that. It was a privilege to be a pastor during such a time as that. It, it's been wonderful. And I'm completely proud of the staff for just really taking on an unprecedented time, a new leader, an unprecedented uh, COVID season. There's all kinds of things that were just multiplied in our transition. You cannot rely on the familiar. If you're thinking this is the same old boat, same old lake, same old ride, same old time, then you may be disheartened. And if you're still holding on to the familiar and the same old, same old, same old, you're going to lose hope. Because it's evening. The dawn is coming. A new day is coming. You don't want to live in the dark. A new day is coming. As a church family, I totally get it. I mean, there's a new senior pastor. New type of preaching, expositional preaching, which I'm super grateful for the membership here for sticking it out, you know, I mean, I get it. It's like starting out as a brand new preacher and then I'm definitely not going to be the same preacher that I was at year 18 as I am at year two, you know, particularly COVID and all that other stuff. Thank you. You guys have been super gracious in that regard. It's coming though. By God's grace, it's coming. It's coming, guys. New pastors, uh, associate pastors, some associate pastors like uh, like today, two of them are said that they're uh, coming off staff. Pastor Paul has come off staff. That's challenging. That's different. New people, you're sitting around, look around. Go ahead, look around. Look around. That's okay, look around. You don't want to be Asian. Come on, look around. Like, they ain't going to think you're weird. I'm telling you to do it. Some new faces here. There's some new faces here. It's new people. Certain programs that were near and dear to us is not necessarily there anymore. Emphasis is different. So just think through this a little bit now. Before we lose despair or become discouraged, who ordered the trip? Verse 35. It was the Lord himself. Simple. Even a first grader could read that and say, okay, the Lord said, let's go to the other side. Who picked the time and destination? The Lord did. 
Verse 35, there it is. Verse 37, who ordained the, the storm? I believe the Lord Jesus Christ did. And it was a, not just a storm, it was a mega windstorm. This word for fierce is great in, in ESV, but the original language is mega, mega. This is, a, this is a huge event here. And I just want to give a word of encouragement. In any transition, if you, whether it's a, the church transition that you, you need encouragement in, or just really I think it's a lot of personal things going on with all of us as I share my own uh, issues, although it's, it's, it's related, but nonetheless it's personal. I think particularly during transitions, always expect the unexpected. Some of us got new work. Someone's got retirement plans and stepping into a season of retirement. Marriage, you're newlywed, and, and most of that time has been spent with COVID now. And now you're walking into regular normal life. Some of us have newborns. What a blessing. But that, there are some unexpected storms there. Perhaps you've been widowed the last year. That's a transition. That's a new life. Our heart goes out to the widows. Or it could just be you moving to a new location. We can plan, we can prepare all we want, but God is the one that will ordain the storm. The storms will come. If He wants it to come, it's coming. But we're going to find out why He's doing it. He's sovereign. That's the issue that we talked about. Now, God is sovereign over storms. We're going to find out some of His purposes in the storm here. Let's go to the point number two. God's purposeful sovereignty exposed the shaken disciples, the shaken disciples. Verse 38, Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. The stern for us land lovers is the back of the boat. <laughs> if you didn't know that, it's the back of the boat. And there's a cushion. That means that he didn't doze off. This was the intentional time of sleeping. The Lord is fully God and fully man. He was exhausted. I get tired preaching one message, let alone constantly preaching. And he was on that boat preaching and preaching and preaching. He was exhausted. The Lord is fully God, fully man. And what happened? And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The twelve, if you could imagine, rebuked Jesus Christ. Maybe it was Peter, right, in the front. He's, he's done that before. But they rebuked the Lord. They wake him up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Don't you care about us? Why did you call this trip? They're terrified and I was thinking to myself, how can I describe what type of a dire situation this was? Well, what comes to mind was a routine flight that I was taking. I'm not a fisherman, but I fly in the air. I used to fly a lot in the air. We're heading to South Bend, fired up for something else. We're like, okay, we're going to go play this game. And I'm in the back of the plane with some of the players, and, and all of a sudden, boom! The plane dropped hundreds of feet out of the air. My mind went off the game at that point. I'm wide awake. I see my friend in front of me floating in the air, and in the back of his head is hitting the luggage compartment. And the wives were on the trip, and they were screaming. Everyone was screaming. And I helped my friend up to his seat. His seatbelt broke. He was fastened, but the force was so severe. Boom, the thing came off. And he had no seatbelt at that point. I thought to myself, I'm sure glad Charlotte's not here. She was pregnant with 
or second, and I'm thinking, I don't want my kids to go on with life without a parent, right? I'm like, all right, but I'm going to heaven. And people were screaming, and all of a sudden, it kept shaking. All of a sudden, we, we leveled off. We Evidently, we went through a storm. We were dumping fuel outside over a lake. We hit a thunderstorm, and that would have been like one of those legendaries where USC goes down, and the program gets set back a couple years. I mean, it would have been that type of story. They would have made a movie. They would have made a movie. They might have thrown the one Asian dude. That would have been me. Dude, that's, that's my friend, right? But that was it. In my mind, I'm going to see the maker. Am I ready to see him? And my only thought was, yeah, it's too bad I can't see my girls grow up. But they'll be fine. God's got them. And my wife, if she wants to remarry, she could remarry. You know, I'm thinking all that. <laughs> but this is what it was like for the disciples. They were drenched. They're holding on for dear life. They're holding on. And these are seasoned men in routine boat ride. And now they're panicking. Not only are they panicking, they attack the Lord. They question his goodness. Don't you care about us? It's one thing to say, I'm scared. It's another thing to say, Jesus, you don't care about us. So is God's sovereignty purposeful? Is God's sovereignty only sovereign? Or is it actually purposeful? There's a purpose there. This is what you got to wrestle with. You have to come to terms. Do I actually believe this? Otherwise, yeah, he's in control and he must not like me. He must be angry with me. I'm serious. A lot of professing Christians think this way. But how does the Lord respond? Verse 39. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush! Be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly or mega calm there was a great calm it was it it matches the word from the windstorm the mega windstorm to the mega calmness now when the wind obey the sea falls to immediately that's a miracle in itself right there should have been ripples it was perfectly calm like glass like glass he commanded the fierce wind the great wind he commanded the water and when God speaks, things happen. And how does Jesus actually speak to the wind? Can you imagine that? Rebuke, stop, hush. Like, how does that work? I mean, I get a person, maybe even a dog, but how does that work with the wind and the water, right? That's something that you got to think through a little bit. How, what does that look like? Well, my mind, and along with some pastors, I was going over this on our staff, our minds were drawn to Genesis chapter 1. That's where God, Yahweh himself, said, let there be light, boof. There is light. And then day two and three, he spoke the atmosphere into existence. He invented the wind. He invented the air system. He invented all of that. And then he finally separated the seas from the land. He spoke. He told the wind. He told the water to do this. And it did. The same God who commanded the sky and the sea to form was on that boat. The wind and the sea recognized you're the Lord of the storm. You're the one that spoke everything into existence. Of course they're going to listen. This is a different person that we're dealing with. Jesus is the sovereign Lord. And how does Jesus respond to the disciples' harsh words? I mean, look. Pastor Dan shared today, I'm grateful. And, and um, he biblically counsels them. He gets to the heart of it here, right? 
and gently asked a question. Verse 40, and he said to them, why are you afraid? Another word for this word for afraid is why are you acting like cowards? Cowards. Do you still have no faith? The Lord was basically getting to the hard issue. You are acting cowardly because your faith is still under development. It's not completely. You, you, you are of little faith, Matthew says. They had some faith. and I don't think the Lord meant it in an inclusive way for all their faith, but their faith was incomplete. Their faith wasn't able to handle that storm. Maybe they could handle how to feed the 5,000, but they couldn't handle the storm. Maybe that's where we're at. You can handle this much from the Lord, but no, 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 no. I, I, I can't even imagine this happening to my family. I can't imagine this happening to my work. I can't imagine happening this, getting that health diagnosis. There's no way, God. No, 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 no. But I can handle maybe the bills, maybe I can handle the rigors at work, right? We understand this. We all are like this. See, the storm, as Pastor Caney said, what is God doing? Uh, I would say the Lord is strategically purposeful. The storm in the sea was revealing the greater storm that was raging in their hearts. That's what was happening. God himself, Jesus Christ himself said, you need to take an x-ray vision looking to your spiritual hearts. Because I know what's in there, but I don't think you do. I think you feel more confident than you think you, you really are. Jesus already knew, but the 12 needed to know. They must realize where faith is at. If you don't know your spiritual uh, maturity level, it's hard to grow. It really is. Like I'm, you know, I, I don't know if it's like levels necessarily, but you know where your faith is weak. You know by God's grace where your faith is strong. If you're not aware of that, you're going to go through life not being able to discern what God is doing in your life. Discernment is the key to living a powerful, confident Christian life. How else do you leave Evergreen? And we know it's time now, right? This is a scary thought. How else do you leave your work that you had or leave a state and come here to do this? This is a scary thought. It's called discernment. It isn't on any of anyone's strengths. It's about God is in this. God is ordering us to do this. So an application for us, church. What has the storms washed up in your heart What's been washing up to the seashore of your heart? What has been washing up? Do you treat Jesus as if, as if he's asleep too, like the disciples? He's sleeping on this one. Do you really think that? I, I know we don't intellectually believe that, but heart-wise, do you actually treat Jesus as if he's sleeping on the job? Some of us do. I mean, how have you handled the... Some of us are into politics, which is great. It's a good stewardship. Are you losing peace because your guy or gal didn't get elected? When you think a party is going to take over a certain group and it doesn't happen, does that give you peace? Get you more excited about God? Or do you lose confidence in what God is doing? Right? That's, that's kind of a, there's all this little test that God gives us. Difficult relationships. Are you sitting there unforgiving somebody? You're, you're, you're a resentful person. Because that thought of that person it just drives you nuts. Right? That's what the storm is washing up onto the seashore. At Evergreen Church, are you unifying or divisive? I'm going to talk about this very specifically for our church. It's okay to lament. It's okay to say, hey, I need prayer. It's okay to talk to leaders particularly. But it's not okay to be divisive. It's not okay to keep asking the same questions when we already know biblically what is happening. 
It's not okay to be divisive. It's not okay. That's sin. We need to be unifying, not for the sake of the pastor. We're loyal to the truth. We're loyal to the one who's calling the storm, who's calling the shots through his word. This is what we're talking about. But I've also been very encouraged by many in this church as I look out. I, I see faces right now. And I know many have gone off through layoffs, gone, lost their jobs recently. I know many have been de- battling health issues. I know you're experiencing death of loved ones. I know this. I have the privilege of a pastor to know some of these things. We know some of your children are going through very difficult things, adult children, hard things. And, and, and what's so encouraging is this, so exciting. The, what is the work of the Spirit doing? Honesty, yet a hopefulness. Somehow God is in control. Somehow God means for good. Somehow God is shaping me into the image of his son. Super encouraging. Those things give gasoline, spiritual gasoline to a pastor. I mean, it just amazes me. The people give so much encouragement. God's people encourage and energize one another. Finally, let's go to the final point and we'll finish up here. God's purpose for sovereignty revealed that Jesus Christ is a sovereign Lord. That's the main point of this sermon, that God's purposeful sovereignty revealed that Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the storm. He is the one that called the trip. He's the one that called the mega windstorm. He's the one that silenced the, uh, the wind and the waves to have a mega calm. And Jesus already knew the storm that was raging in the hearts, and he was very purposeful about this. And what happens in verse 41, the final verse? They became very much afraid. Very much, mega afraid, afraid. I mean, this is what this verse, this is like a, a, a double emphasis, triple emphasis. Mega afraid, afraid. This, is, this type of fear is beyond the cowardly fear that uh, the Lord describes earlier. This is a whole different fear. They said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Who are we dealing with? Do you think that way, church? Who are we actually dealing with? Who is in the boat with us? Forget the storm. Forget the boss at work. Forget the diagnosis. Forget the, 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 the politicians. Forget if you're not happier. Like, who are you actually dealing with? You're not dealing with me. You're dealing with one who spoke the universe into existence and demonstrates that he is more fearful than a crazy storm. He basically transfers that fear from creation to the creator. He got the eyes of the disciples off of themselves in the lake and the wind and the storm and the boat and each other panicking and acting like cowards and then looking up with God. Who are we dealing with? Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Ecclesiastes says, fear God and obey Him. And, th- and this is the key why, Kenny asked that question, why is this happening? You could be taught this. I, I could teach it. I could preach it. Definitely there will be benefits. But what the Lord does is He takes that word with a red hot branding iron, gets the word and digs it deep into our hearts, so we will never forget what we experienced through what God did. Because we're actually able to see the, the, the written word in the living word. 
written on our hearts. Do you want this church? This is what God is doing. He's making us more like Christ. And, and this is what Romans 8, 28, 29 talks about. To be conformed to the image of His Son. Do you want this? If our goal is not the same with the Lord, we will be disappointed. If our plans are not His plans, we will be discouraged. If our trajectory of life you're trying to control, you're going to be fighting against the Almighty. Andrew Nacelli, my uh, one of my pr- professors at the seminary, said, God made us for Himself. This is easy. God made us for Himself. Therefore, we need to see God as big and us as small, which generates awe. If this is not exciting to you, perhaps you've got a hard heart. Because perhaps you need to check yourself if you're in Christ. As all Christians get excited about this, I won't have greater awe for God. This is what we're talking about. And the good news is this. To finish up here, the conclusion... The Lord loves you and me so much. Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Nothing. And in this story, Jesus was not on the shores of Galilee. He was there with the disciples, with his men. Jesus Christ loved Evergreen Church. He's with us. And he's, what is he doing? He's forming us into his image, church. That's what he's doing. Romans 8, 28, 29. And by the way, keep reading to verse 30. He guarantees that we'll be glorified someday. Those who he foreknew, he predestined. Those who he predestined, he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. Past tense. It's already done, church. So if you're in Christ, we have nothing to fear. Don't we have a great God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to preach your word. What an amazing reality, Lord, that you are purposeful in everything that happens. Every single molecule, every single atom, every single mustard seed that flies in the air, you are controlling. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the sovereign God and we are following the right God. Thank you, Lord, for this fact. Lord, please forgive us for doubting you, Lord. Forgive us for staring at the storms. Forgive us for looking towards man, for strength. Even pastors like me and other strong or even weak Christians. Forgive us, Lord. We should have been looking at you the whole time. Thank you for causing all things for good, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to do a good work in our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're forming us into your image to become more like you. You are discipling us, Lord. You're very very intentional in discipling us into your image. And thank you that we, nothing can separate us from your love and you will bring us home. What a promise, Lord, that you will bring us home. And you will hold us fast. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.